The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to In Discussion. Our guest today, Steve Sclair, founder and chief operating officer of Reality Digital of Burbank, California, outlining the developments of technology during the dawning of a dynamic and compelling era for audiences in the entertainment world. Also joined today by Randall Libero, in the studio, senior producer for the David Gibbons In Discussion program. Welcome to In Discussion. I am absolutely delighted today to be joined by Steve Sclair from uh, Reality, a Burbank-based company. And uh, Reality is specializing in high-definition live-action stereoscopic digital 3D. company also develops production systems, image processing software, and other technologies that enable the creation, post-production, and distribution of live-action 3D entertainment. They are well known uh, recently in the last two years for producing the first movie shot completely in live action digital for U2. And they're also shooting live action footage for 3D commercials aired during the Super Bowls. And uh, Steve, welcome to you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here today. And what I'd like to do is start off with some background. Um, I realize that you have uh, moved through the, the, the industry, uh, through the film industry, and you have a lot of uh, production background. What was it that moved you into this, uh, this, this side of the industry? Well, there's a number of people in the 3D industry. Some of them are what, you know, what we call hobbyists, and others are actual 3D nuts with tinfoil hats. And um, I, I was actually neither of those. I've just worked digitally for so long, and when the FCC in the United States mandated digital television, this was many, many years ago, uh, in the middle of the 90s or earlier, uh, the question came up is, what good is digital television? You know, will people actually be interested in digital television because it's a cleaner picture, or are there other applications that will work? And really, that was the genesis of deciding that digital television is the perfect medium to start creating an experience uh, such as stereoscopic pictures, 3D pictures. And if you look at what happened to the industry as digital technologies got better and better, look what happened to sound. Sound went from a TV with a single speaker playing mono to now every, you know, people have 5.1 sound systems at home. Picture is the same. It had to go somewhere besides a flat picture and the only place for it to go is to become more immersive and to be more immersive and rely on technology that's widespread the stereoscopic was where it had to go uh, so has it been your focus to to uh, prioritize the live events that that you've been involved in recently over being uh, in the film industry itself i mean there, there's a, a big gap there um, is that more appealing to you to be out there with a with a live audience? 
Yeah, well, what was more appealing to me, and, and actually still is, is live action. You know, animation, stereo animation, 3D animation, has been around for a while. Certainly, for the last few years, most of the films coming out have been animated. Uh, the technologies that create animated films have existed for a long time because, you know, if to when you make an animated film, you basically do it in a computer and you render the images. Well, the beautiful part about computer-generated characters is they hit their marks identically every single time you press play. So you can render a left-eye image, do an offset to the cameras and render a right-eye image, and you can put an animated 3D movie in the theaters. Unfortunately, live-action, you can't shoot things twice because actors, the actors aren't computer digits. So the challenge was to create a technology that was, and we could talk more about this later, but a technology that worked commercially for the capture of live action for both movies and television. The hardest thing to do is live broadcast because you do not have the luxury of fixing everything in post-production in a live broadcast. So if we could design and develop technologies and methodologies to shoot stereo 3D for a live broadcast, then it would cascade down into pre-recorded television, feature films, and everything else, and just be that much better for each of those industries. What, but between the two mediums, do you think that the live-action work that you are involved in now, with, with you too as being a prime example, is becoming more persuasive as a medium for the audience than possibly sitting in a theatre? Well, if I said yes, that would be my opinion. So I could, you know, I'd rather say yes with some facts behind it. And the fact is that every studio in Hollywood has 3D projects in the pipeline. So certainly it's persuasive from the studio side, and the studios don't jump into any new medium without having a very clearly defined business case to support their move into a new area. So it's my opinion that yes it's much more persuasive but the studios have also run their analysis and are now making 3d content because they also believe this is what the audience is interested in and the audience has already voted that this is what they're interested in in some of the recent releases that come out in both 2d and 3d um, the 3d versions earn three times the revenue of the 2d versions even in the same theater so the audience has voted the studios are now on board but what's more interesting now is the television side of the business is adapting to this. And really that's driven by so many things. Obviously movies were driven by the fact that theaters started to be built because without a venue to show the content, what, there's not much point in creating it. Television has always kind of been in the background on that because up till recently the only way to view stereo on a television is with those awful old-style colored glasses. With, you know, pick your color. There's a number of different systems out there, but they all pretty much do the same thing. Uh, starting the beginning of 2010, every major consumer electronics manufacturer is releasing 3D televisions into the market. They'll be scaled over the next year. But these are companies like Sony, Panasonic, Samsung. They're all creating 3D televisions that will be moved into the consumer market. So suddenly with venues available now to broadcasters, the whole broadcast industry is moving into 3D. And, you know, at some point, and I think this point was passed a while ago, 
this started to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I had a question uh, regarding um, the the audience in the theaters. Now, 3D in motion picture theaters, is it really a requirement to have the state-of-the-art digital projection, or what is the interface with the current technology? Because there's, you know, movie theaters all over the country are, are moving towards the digital projection systems. So can 3D only be used in terms of these digital projection theaters, or is there some sort of other equipment that motion picture theaters can use to be able to have a, a 3D viewing experience in the theaters for audiences? Well, in the, in the old days, the meaning in the 50s and the 70s, 3D films were released in theaters that didn't have digital projectors because they, they didn't exist. And there was a way to make that work, although in my mind that was part of what was wrong with the business and why it didn't succeed in the 50s and the 70s was because of film projection. With that said, I'll throw a caveat in on that. The advent of digital projection in theaters suddenly meant instead of two projectors playing 3D, which is very problematic, you can display 3D and 2D content in the same room through the same digital projector. So if there's a 3D movie out, the, the theater owners can run that in, in their room. If there are no 3D movies at that moment, then they can run a 2D movie in that room. So the rooms become multi-purpose, not just 3D, 2D, but a lot of times, based on how long a film's been released, theater owners will shift from larger rooms to smaller rooms, so they need to be pretty adaptable. Digital projection is really what helped, you know, is half the equation of what helped this new resurgence in 3D. You know, with that said, because there are so many film theaters out there and the conversion is going to take a while, um, there's been a new film-based technology that's been released which requires an adapter on the projector that can actually use film now to project 3D out of a single projector. And so I'm, I'm not sure how much ground they're gaining, but at least... It's not a sole requirement that it be digital, although I'm being a, I am a big fan of the digital 3D projection for, because it's, it works so well. It's always in sync. The images are rock steady. When, when, when you watch 3D, you know, it used to give you headaches. And so a lot of the new technologies have been around how do you make 3D content and how do you display 3D content and not give your audience the supreme headache. Part of the reason, and you can ask more questions about this later, there's so many answers, but one of the reasons is if there are differences, no matter how subtle, between what your left eye sees and your right eye sees, even if it's just scratches, so the left eye seeing a very scratched piece of film and the right eye is not, this, you start to generate headaches from watching this because you're not used to looking at that much disparity with your two eyes. The beauty of digital projection is one week, two weeks, six months after a film is released, it still looks the same. It's still a pristine, perfect digital image up there on the screen that's rock steady, so there's no differences in the image jitter between left and right eye. And it's in perfect alignment since it's coming out of the same projector. It's always going to be in alignment. And it's in perfect sync since it's the same digital file. So it just works so much better. With these uh, new 3D televisions that are coming out, what is the difference between the viewing experience of seeing a 3D movie in a theater and a 3D television? And are there uh, glasses required, or do the 3D televisions just work with just viewing? I mean, explain a little bit about wh what that all looks like. So the 3D televisions are coming out. There are 
two basic technologies behind 3D television. Um, in the industry, they're known as active glasses and passive glasses. So the difference is this. Active glasses, all the heavy lifting of displaying 3D is being done in the glasses and not really on the television. The television is flickering left eye and right eye images at 120 times per second or greater, so you don't see any image flicker because that's just much too fast of frame rate. And the glasses separate the left eye and the right eye by working in sync with the television. Um, the advantage to this is there's absolutely no extra cost to the television than there is over the 2D model, or if there is, it's, only, it's not going to be noticeable. The passive glasses, the heavy lifting, is being done by the television. The glasses you're wearing are the same as what you've been going to theaters to see for the last few years. They look like sunglasses. Um, and the work is being done by the television because there's a very tightly designed polarization filter over the screen that lets these polarized glasses work. Those televisions will undoubtedly cost a little more than the 2D versions of the same television, so it depends on which experience you want. What The active glasses are more expensive, the passive glasses are pretty much freebies. So both of these are coming out. Now, how does this differ from the theatrical experience? There's both active and passive theatrical experiences as well. There's, there's theaters that are running active glasses, and there's theaters that are running passive glasses. Most of the theaters are running passive glasses because they're working with the Real D system, which is designed to actively filter the polarization at the projector so you could just wear the lightweight sunglasses in the theater. So there's technically very little difference between the theater experience and the television experience. Now, aesthetically, uh, size matters. So aesthetically, the bigger the screen, the more the further away you sit from it, and the further away you are sitting from the screen, the more room there is for the stereo depth. For you know, if everybody likes the object that pokes off the screen, in a theater when you're sitting 40 feet away, you've got an object poking 40 feet out into the audience. On a television, when you're sitting six feet away, that object is only able to poke six feet out of the screen. So it's a scaled difference. Both are incredibly satisfactory, but one of the early worries was that television 3D would start cannibalizing theater 3D. And the answer is actually much less so in, 2D, in the 2D world, because in the 2D world you can watch a Blu-ray on your HDTV, and other than size, it looks pretty much the same as going to the theater, which has led to some of the downward trends in theater attendance. With 3D, because this idea that size does matter, the television won't cannibalize that market. You know, it's a fantastic experience in the theater, and it's a fantastic experience at home. I, I, I might be one of the few people running a 3D TV at home, but just because I have access to content. And, uh, you know, it's a wonderful experience at home. You kind of get used to it. It's, it's like switching from standard def to high def. At some point, you don't want to go backwards, and I think I've now hit that point with a 3D television at home. I'd really prefer my programming to come at me in that manner more than anything else. Does this not raise a dilemma, though, for the future, Steve? I mean, are, are we not going to see uh, people having to make tough choices uh, whether to either attend the theater or invest in a television? And further to that, if the Internet takes off uh, the way that 
I, I, I believe it will. Does that not uh, does that not change the whole paradigm again? No, I don't believe so because 2D television right now is distributed over internet, you know, via high bandwidth connections to the home, right to the television. Um, 3D requires no more bandwidth than a 2D picture to send it to the home, at least with all the current distribution technologies that are in place. So the choice of whether to watch a movie on television or watch it in a theater is no different in 3D than it is in 2D. In other words, do you go to the theater to see your next Matt Damon film, or do you wait for the disc to come out? That's not going to change just because it's in 3D. You'll still have that dilemma. So that dilemma already exists. Now, the technology that you're you're actually using, is it a a similar technology that's being used for films such as Avatar? Are are there similarities there? Yes, of course. Although Avatar is, there's a lot more animation in Avatar than, than live action, but the technologies are very similar. Where reality is at, at the front edge of capturing live action imagery that's absolutely perfectly matched left and right eyes, so there's no headaches involved, and it works on a real time basis, meaning you could broadcast, as we have, a live football game to a television or a theater. Uh, movies are done with the idea that post-production is going to be done on the image. But at the end of the day, the technologies are almost the same, except you know the quality of the images our technology creates. But at the end of the day, all live action and even all animation is captured with two cameras, one for your left eye, one for your right eye. So there are two cameras set to slightly different offsets, and that changes based on subject-to-camera distance. But all 3D technologies are captured with a left eye camera and a right eye camera. No matter what system you use, they have all, they all have that in common. From your personal perspective, what do you enjoy more at this stage? Do you enjoy the uh, the, the film industry, the, the the making of films like Avatar, or would you prefer to be out in the field uh, producing something like the U2? U2 uh, actually, for me, was a movie. Um, so, uh, again, that's the same. So the question is, you know, the, for as I read it, would I rather be doing a straight live action film or a film with an incredible amount of special effects? Uh, part, my background is a lot in the special effects field, so I always like being on special effects movies. I, I love being on special effects sets. They're time-consuming and tedious, but when you watch the results, it's just magical. I have to say, shooting you two and being there, you know, on stage or in the pits with the band while they were performing, was one of my favorite shooting experiences ever. So I don't think I have a preference. My preference is that every project be different, and that every project be better than the last one. I had a question about um, shooting a special effects film in terms of uh, what actually happens on the stage and what what you have to plan for in terms of the the post, in terms of the effects work. How do you calculate out uh, what amount of sets or the amount of set or the height of sets and the the width of it have to be built in terms of how you're planning out a shot and how does the 2D to 3D 3D change that 
or has it changed it? And what are, what are the differences between traditional film with no 3D and a 3D film in terms of what, what the actual shooting stage is like and planning stage? As far as the physical shooting stage, there's, there's very little difference. The only difference you'll see when you walk in is it doesn't look like the camera you might be used to. Other than that, there is no difference. It's still a green screen if you are doing effects work or composite work, and there's still a lot of set pieces around, and none of that changes. What changes when you're doing stage work between 2D and 3D is really some of the production design or art direction. You're looking for clues to make that depth. And with that said, we used to do that in 2D films as well. When you wanted a space to feel large or like there's depth or like it recedes very far, that was always done with careful art direction, careful production design to make sure there were objects in the foreground, objects in the background. Sometimes you'd you'd forced perspective to create backgrounds that were even more distant than the back wall of the stage would allow you to have. And all that remains the same in 3D. There's there's very little difference. In fact, at, at this point with the technologies we've built, um, both the camera system and the image processors, which are doing a lot of the heavy lifting in creating 3D images, the, the production schedules really don't change. You know, whatever could be shot on a 2D schedule could be shot on a 3D schedule. You know, we shot uh, Chuck for NBC um, just before the Super Bowl, and you know, it was a it was their crew was a little new to them, so. You know, they they started a little unfamiliar with the technology, but they work on nine-day shoot schedules and eight-day shoot schedules for that hour episode, and we did this whole thing in a nine-day shoot schedule. So things on set don't change all that much anymore, at least with the new technologies. You know, a long time ago, even when Terminator 2 3D was done when I was at Digital Domain, you're very lucky to get a few shots off every day. And some of the films I worked on in the past, although I didn't focus on 3D films, I was involved in some. You know, a big day was getting three or four or five shots. Oh, that was a huge day. That's great for theme parks and museums because you budget to allow for that. But the mainstream commercial television and feature business doesn't exist on the schedules that only allow you to get five or six setups a day. It's That's not commercially feasible at all so really it's the technologies that are in place now that allow us to move so quickly that then let me answer your question by saying there's very little difference on set between a 2d film and a 3d film other than the camera system you're looking at i suppose for your audience steve you there is a, a lot of education here uh, there, there must be in in, in uh, explaining to people exactly what this technology is and and what the experience is that they can expect. I mean, in in, in some of these fields, do do the audience even realize the potential of the three D environment? I think that'll start coming in more and more and more. I mean, if a picture's worth a thousand words, is a three D picture worth three thousand words? Uh, the more people see, the more visually literate they're going to get, and the less education process there needs to be. With, with that said, I, you know, three, this is a new medium. The technologies now exist that allow you to do live action, live broadcast. And we've done a number of sporting events that were sent live to televisions and live to film, to theaters. Uh, we're doing a lot of that overseas, which is really moving quickly. Uh, but 
what's and what to me what's most exciting about all of this is the technologies obviously can always use more and more and more and more further development, but the language hasn't been developed or barely been touched. I mean, I'm very much looking forward to Avatar. Jim Cameron is an amazing filmmaker, and if anybody's going to take a shot at the first couple of steps in developing this new language to say what good is 3D in terms of storytelling, you know, certainly Jim Cameron would be one of those people to do that. U2 3D, which was one of the films we made, uh, the director did a fantastic job of pushing the medium to help with the storytelling. So you know, the director was primarily was done by Catherine Owens, who was a visual artist, used to thinking in a 3D space because she does a lot of sculpture, and started to develop, at least for that film, a language that let her tell let let her tell a story using images that she could have told the same story in 2D. So I think in the hands of the right directors over the next few years you'll see more and more of this language being developed which again is the most exciting part and, and you know there is a language to film as you know uh, you know the simple examples are blue light coming in the moon in the window means it's dark outside and there must be a moon outside well you know the moonlight isn't really blue but we accept that convention in movies we accept a lot of passage of time convention in movies it's all part of the language so 3d just becomes another tool set for great filmmakers to use to help tell their stories you know what's key here is that 3D will not make a bad story into a good story. It's not going to make a bad movie into a good movie. You know, movies are still about, and, and even television shows, and even sporting events, they're still about storytelling. You know, the audience is there for the storytelling. The rest are all tools, technologies, part of the artist's toolbox or their palette to tell these stories. Now, with that said, uh, do you have plans in place uh, for some sort of internet um, internet work here, uh, some sort of internet delivery uh, is, is that a, a focus? Uh, it's being worked on I can't say too much more about that right now but it's certainly in play well, that was a that was a brief answer. <laughs> well, all my answers are lengthy, but that one. As soon as we get into areas of uh, that's a technology I'm not ready to talk about yet, so be brief. One of the things that um, that I noticed about your three reality digital three play technology is that it um, is able to create media streams over for broadcasts over the current two D architecture. So now that televisions are all uh, digital in terms of broadcast. This also works in terms of high definition. The thing that I find interesting is that the sort of going up and coming down through satellites and things like that, the signal doesn't lose anything. Talk about the whether there's compression or uncompression or you know exactly how that passage works from the, the camera that's photographing, say, the football game to the home. Talk about that track of that arc and what exactly happens to that signal as it turns into a, a 3D experience. I'll try and do so without getting too geeky because I'm not sure you know your audience wouldn't fall asleep on this. You've completely lost me anyway, so I, I'm, I'm just listening. <laughs> All right, I'll, 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 I'll scale that back one one level. So let me start with a preface then. And the preface is this. When the industry went from standard definition to high definition, the broadcasters kind of took it in the shorts. 
They had to spend millions of dollars on infrastructure upgrades, and there's no additional revenue coming to them for doing that. They get no more money from their advertisers for high definition than they did for standard definition. So all the broadcasters are out a great deal of money for this HD upgrade. When we did this, and certainly when I started the company and set out to do this, one thing was very clear to me, which was whatever technologies we develop for the broadcast of 3D, if it requires another infrastructure upgrade on the part of broadcasters, we may as well not even start, because that would be a complete non-starter in terms of a business case. Whatever we did had to work with the existing infrastructure that the broadcasters have just paid a fortune for and seen no, no extra revenue coming in for. So we knew that the standard 2D path was critical. Now, to answer your question without being an incredible geek about it, um, when we shoot 3D, we have two images, a left eye image and a right eye image. What we have is a technology to combine those two images into a single HD frame so that all the equipment that's processing these pictures or running the pictures through, whether it's the, you know, whether it's the slow motion units, the EVS units in the OB trucks, or whether it's the switcher in the OB trucks, or even whether it's the satellite equipment, what that equipment is looking at is a a 2D frame, uh, you know, in HD at full res, a 1920 by 1080 frame. Because we've m multiplexed the left eye and the right eye into that frame, it's carried as a 3D image, or it, it carries the information for a 3D image, so that it runs through standard switchers in the truck, it runs through all the standard equipment in the truck, it goes out to a satellite uplink as a 2D picture, comes back down as a 2D picture, and with the television sets that are coming into the market, the decoders for that are built in. So it's, brought, it's sent right to the home pretty much as a 2D signal and then decoded into the 3D for display. Um, visually, there's no loss in doing this. You could line up a 1,000 people, show them an image in 2D, show them the image in 3D, show them the full res in 3D or this multiplex in 3D, and nobody, I've yet to meet anybody who could visually see the difference on a television. So there's no visual loss in doing this. Mathematically, there is some, but it's very little. But vis you know, all that matters to me is, is the audience happy with this experience? And the answer 100% of the time has been yes. So that's pretty much, without getting incredibly engineering about it, and I'm not even an engineer, um, that's kind of how the system works. I, I'm actually very interested in the rigs uh, that you uh, have out there, Steve. They they seem to be quite amazing. Is, is that something that you've? Uh, is that part of your your business plan? Because the, the, they seem to be very unique. Um, they, thank you for that. They are unique. They're definitely unique. Uh, let me let me explain a little bit and not use up the rest of your radio show to do this, about the rigs and how they work, and at least why I, I'm pretty convinced they're so unique. You know, as we've discussed, it takes to make a 3D image, it takes a left eye and a right eye. Sometimes you can put two cameras side by side and capture that image. When anything comes close to the camera, that side-by-side -side arrangement will give you a headache because at some point the cameras touch each other, 
and the separation between the two lenses is still too wide for things coming closer to the camera. So you look at those images, you get a headache. So we've built a number of systems, including side-by-side systems, but we've also built what is one of our workhorses, which is called the beam splitter system. This is not a tech, beam splitting technology is not anything we've invented. We've improved the heck out of it and then added a lot of new technologies to it, but beam splitting has been around for a long, long time, just so I don't take credit for things where credit's not due. Um, in, in beam splitting technology, one camera is looking through a half-surfaced mirror, so it sees through the mirror. It's kind of, kind of like the security window in many department stores where you can see through the mirror, but from the other side it is a mirror. The other camera is shooting into the other side of this mirror and seeing a reflected image. By doing this, we can overlap the lenses in a virtual position because they could get all the way down to zero, so they're both seeing the same picture or separate them. The cameras move actively during the shot. As the subject comes closer to the camera or moves further away, the spacing between the cameras will adjust. And it's about creating a consistent image on screen, so the depth is consistent, you don't get a headache. Uh, this is all very sophisticated robotic motion control, um, accurate down to the micron level, because if you have two cameras looking at the same object on a telephoto lens, it only takes a micron of shift in one of the cameras for the images to not line up perfectly. And, of course, the images that don't line up perfectly tend to not be good 3D images, give you a headache. So it's very, very accurate, incredibly accurate, sophisticated equipment. On top of that is a way to compensate for zoom lenses, which before we started everyone said was impossible. You cannot shoot 3D with zoom lenses because the images don't track the same, which is true. No zoom lenses. And... I don't care whose lenses you use. I mean, you know, in the consumer market is one set of lenses, but in the television market, sometimes lenses are fifty and sixty thousand dollars each or more. Doesn't matter. They still don't track perfectly because they weren't designed to do that. You know, they were designed for two D use. We're adapting them for three D use. So we've built a series of both electronic controls and physical controls into the camera that map every single lens at every millimeter of its travel and adjusts the image so that it always stays locked together and rock solid, which I know n- nobody else in the industry is, is doing or has been able to do. Behind this, then, is um, image analyzers, you know, image processing. We actually have, we have software that's looking at the image in front of the camera. It knows that, you know, this pixel somewhere in the upper left of the left eye has to exactly match this pixel in the upper left of the right eye. So there's a lot of very sophisticated algorithms running underneath that are looking at this image matching and then adjusting pictures so it lines up perfectly. Now, back to the difference between movies and television. None of this existed before, but movies always existed because you'd take the footage from set, you'd take it into post-production, and you'd physically move every frame around until things lined up as best you could do. Sometimes this would take months. Well, months of extra post-production it costs millions of dollars. So that's, again, that's a stymie to me in the commercial world of putting this technology out into the market. 
in live broadcast, you don't have the luxury of post-production. Things have to match exactly. So what's unique about our camera systems is they will keep images matching through the whole system all the way to home delivery, and we have a number of technologies along the way that does this. And the result is, may subtle or not subtle, you could watch hours of programming and not get a headache from doing it. From a, a, a director's point of view, or from a, a storyteller, does this technology raise uh, complications? Uh, does it raise another another level uh, uh, in, in their uh, visualization before they actually uh, make a film? Which really, Steve, I'm asking that question because I'm wondering what hangs on the success of Avatar. The answer to that is that really it depends. <laughs> it depends on the level or how deep a dive the director wants to take in the technology. You could have a director use the 3D cameras on set, so they're going to get a 3D image no matter what, and direct it identically to the way they would direct a 2D movie, and you're still going to get a fairly satisfying 3D movie out the back end. Will it push the language of 3D? Probably not. Will it be a satisfying result? Absolutely will. So some directors are going to not want... Some directors are so focused on story, they don't want to be burdened with learning about a new technology, and they don't have to. It's fairly invisible to them. It's like saying to a director, you're going to shoot your movie with this new high-definition camera, but you have to understand how the signal processing works through the camera and how the chips work and how the gamma controls work and, and, and. And you know, the director's eyes would start spinning around in his head. The fact is a director can go out with a crew and shoot a m movie in high-definition and not know anything more than they did about the film cameras that they were using because the technology to them is invisible. It's there in the background, they see a picture on their monitor, and it all just works, and that's good enough. And frankly, that is good enough. Some directors are going to want to do a deep dive into the technology, understand it completely, because they want to start stretching the limits of what can be done. Certainly, Jim Cameron is on that side of the equation with finding ways to visualize differently, to pre-visualize differently, to create a film using a technology and truly exploit the technology as far as he possibly could do, could go. So really for any director, this is uh, specifically looking for a, a style. Uh, but further to that, uh, when you're talking about uh, budgeting a film, uh, does this technology uh, demand uh, greater financing? Uh, it, does it open up a whole new set of obstacles for a filmmaker? Oh, you're, you're going to love this answer because it's going to be the same as almost every answer I'm going to give for the rest of the show. And the answer is, it depends. <laughs> so it depends on this. If it's a straight live action show without a lot of special effects, the budget increase is pretty negligible. You know, obviously I can't express it in terms of percentage because if you have a $10 million feature, it's a different percentage than it is a $100 million feature because the cost to do it in 3D is pretty constant. So I can't do it in terms of percentage other than say, you know, live action film, it's fairly negligible. If it's a special effects film, then it's going to cost more depending on the effects and the complexity because there's a left eye image and a right eye image. So the special effects guys have to do the effects 
for both the left eye and the right eye. Now, it doesn't double their work, so the work that they're doing is somewhere between over one times more to under two times more. So there is a cost to doing that. It does double the amount of rendering they have to do to even be able to look at shots. It does add to rotoscoping because you have to rotoscope the left eye image. You can transfer that to the right image, but it's going to need adjustment because things are in slightly different positions. So the depends answer really is, is it a whole solely a live action picture or are there a lot of effects? I guess that uh, for Mr. Cameron, he, he's always been a bit of a risk, risk taker. Uh, for, for Avatar, uh, could it potentially uh, change the way that consumers uh, look at film? That's, how one, that's one way it's being promoted is this will change the way you look at film forever. Uh, I kind of hope so. You know, I, I think, I think Avatar will be a big step in the 3D industry as a whole and how consumers feel about 3D entertainment, in how studios feel about making more 3D entertainment, um, in the visual literacy of your audience, because it's guaranteed going to go up after they see this film. So, you know, the answer to that is probably yes, it's going to change to some extent the movie-going experience. Um, will a 2D movie that's not a lot of effects, solely based on a very, very good story, a great cast, still work? Of course it will. You know, those movies will be around forever. Everybody enjoys those movies. I certainly enjoy a really good story, and it doesn't need a lot of effects to keep me happy. Um, but yeah, you know, again, it's just another type of tool for a filmmaker to use to tell her story. I'm not, this isn't from Avatar or from any film, but let me let me give you an example of how 3D can be used to improve storytelling. First of all, there is a language that filmmakers use, and you know, I was a director of photography for many years, and if I wanted the audience to feel something, I could get the audience to a certain point purely visually. I could associate, you know, assuming working with the director and the production designer and, you know, the movie is a collaborative business, but we could make an audience feel comfortable or discomfort for a character strictly through how we use elements in the movie. We could associate a character with only cool backgrounds. And suddenly the backgrounds for this character change to warm backgrounds. Now the audience doesn't know why they're feeling something about this character at that point, but they certainly are. We could shoot a character from the waist up with long lenses or, or with the, half the movie. Suddenly we're shooting them from the waist up with a short lens, a wide-angle lens, where the whole world suddenly in focus, where it hasn't been before. Now, the audience is still looking at a character the same size on screen, but it feels so different to what they've been used to seeing of this character that they get uneasy, they feel something. So film is a language of using visual elements to help tell a story, and these are some of the visual elements. You know, you can use round objects, geometric objects, all to help tell a story. 3D is at least as powerful, if not more powerful, of a tool for a filmmaker to use to help convey an emotion to an audience. And as an example, I, we have two characters at great odds with each other, and they're having a fierce argument. 
We could use 3D to really expand the distance between them. Visually, they feel very, very far apart. The, the image size of the characters is the same no matter what. Then they come to a reconciliation. We can change the 3D setting so suddenly, spatially, they feel so much closer to each other. Image size is still the same as it was before. This is a real subtle difference, but the audiences feel it. You know, audiences always feel those subtle differences. They don't explain it. They say, oh, I get it. They're doing this, so I feel this. It just is something that an audience feels, and especially if they're involved in the story, they're not trying to think intellectually about the shots anyway. It, that's a very powerful tool to help tell your story. If we have a character that's at the far end of a field, and it's uh, an action movie, and he's being chased, we can increase the sense of isolation by putting him very far away from the audience, way behind the screen. Or we can increase the, decrease the distance from the audience to this character and make it feel almost claustrophobic as the bad guys chasing him are starting to move in. So spatially, we can start using this as a story element. I think that's incredibly powerful. I hope that was clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I wanted to um, uh, find out how you can translate this idea of 3D into the gaming world, into 3D games, even virtual gaming. Because I can foresee, I have a 13-year-old son, so I, I kind of live in this, uh, this space right now. <laughs> yes, I bet um, you do. <laughs> he's always talking, he's actually playing games with his friends over the Internet. So imagine now that we've got these digital televisions, which could be 3D, I think the, the implications for games is incredible because uh, not only can you play a game through virtual virtual glasses on and you can play in 3D looking through the glasses or now with the television, but now with the Internet connections, you can, you can connect people into different parts of the planet and they can play a virtual game with each other across the globe. And I think all of this is in motion and is happening. I mean... There are games out there now that you can play in stereo, stereoscopic, because the word 3D has too many meanings, certainly in that world. But there are games you can play in stereoscopic right now, and it does change the way you feel about the game or how you play the game. Certainly, you know, in 2D, you go look around an object, but in 3D, you're really looking around an object, and that does change the gameplay. I know that many of the game companies are working on this, I know that you know when the new PlayStations come out, there's going to be a lot of 3D-enabled technologies in them. I'm sure the other game machines are as well. And then there's a lot of 3D stereoscopic games coming into the market. Uh, that you know, the, your 13-year-old son is the perfect demographic for all of this stuff because 13-year-old boys love the games and the 3D part of it. Well, personally, my daughter, who is 11 years old, enjoys Facebook. <clears throat> so I wonder when Facebook will go 3D. <laughs> um, I don't think I can answer that one. What about the future, Steve? How do you see the future in, in, in the industry as we're moving towards the end of the program here? What, what are your forecasts for the next two to three years? For the next two to three years, you're going to see... A, you're gonna see certainly a larger footprint of both 3D-enabled theaters and 3D-enabled television. You're going to see a lot more programming coming out that's 3D. And certainly on television, it's important to understand that 
just because a program's coming into your home in 3D doesn't mean you have to watch it in 3D. You have a choice. There's a button on your remote. You can push it and watch that program in 2D or watch the program in 3D. So it's not like there's things being forced down the consumer's throat. At some point, it's like the transition from black and white to color. More and more color programs started coming out. More and more people started buying three color televisions because there was programming available. So it always became, you know, which comes first, the programming or the television. I think ultimately, during the early days of the Internet, it was decided that content is king and drives everything. So as there starts to be more and more 3D content available, then there'll be more and more display devices coming into the market with which to view it. At some point, it's going to be ubiquitous because it can be, just like surround sound is now pretty ubiquitous in television. You know, I have a couple of televisions at home. I've got a great surround system on one of them, and I've got standard stereo speakers on the other ones. And I, I watch different programs in, in different rooms, depending. You know, it's, it, it's a growing market, and it will become more ubiquitous in the market. You're going to start to see a fair amount of advertising. Again, all of this is a self-fulfilling prophecy at one point. The more it comes in, the more likely it is to continue to come in. Well, I, I have to ask the question, of course, uh, given the state of the economy and the, the lack of confidence out there with the consumer, has, has that had an effect on your industry in the last uh, year or so? Has it had an effect on the movie industry? I'd say absolutely. Has it had an effect on the 3D industry? Well, two years ago, the 3D industry was a $0 billion business. So when you're starting at zero, any direction is a positive direction. So I, I can't say the economy's had a severe negative effect on our business because of our business and even the 3D industry is a growing industry. But we two years ago, even though we've been at this for 10 years, you know, really started in the market about two years ago, the business and the industry both started to grow. I don't know if it would have grown faster without the economic issues that are out there now or at the same speed. I kind of suspect the same speed. So I don't think there's been a negative impact on our business or our industry. Um, not true of the film industry in general, but certainly true of our niche in that business. Is it? Uh, may I suggest then that it could be a safe bet to stay in the the outdoor arena, the the sort of events that you covered for you too. Um, I'm not sure I understand that. Say that again. Well, I think that uh, I can cite you an example. I interviewed a very uh, prolific composer who works for the BBC, and the, in the UK, the, uh, the the tide is changing to where people like to be uh, at the outdoor events, at the concerts, uh, more than they do uh, inside the theatre. Uh, I wonder whether uh, that's going to be a stronger market for guys like you than than staying in the theater, but really driving the outdoor action. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, it'll be a combination of both. The U2 3D concert film, a lot of people, actually, actually a great many and most of the reviewers, many of them, <clears throat> excuse me, preferred thought it was an even more amazing experience than being in the arena because it felt like you were there you could reach out and almost touch the band when they're on the screen but you have the luxury of getting close-ups and wide shots and a filmmakers language of editing and so it's a different experience 
it doesn't replace the social experience of standing there with 100,000 of your best friends watching a band. So uh, both coexist, but if you were to take those 100,000 people watching a U2 concert and say, would you rather see this if you have to see it in a theater in 2D or 3D, I think you'd get a resounding vote for 3D. And uh, what about uh, next year, Steve? What What are your plans? Are we allowed to to have any insight into the the mission of Threality? The mission of Threality for next year: keep perfecting the technology that we're working on. There's a list of about sixty things I'd love to have done right now, and of course we can only tackle them one, two, three at a time. So. You know, I've certainly got the next couple of years mapped out in terms of technology development. Keep pushing the whole 3D industry forward through the creation of great tools that enable others or great content that, you know, we're involved in making as well. And just to continue to grow the company on the same path that we're on, I would love personally to be involved in projects that the language of 3D becomes an important issue and is not overridden by time constraints, budget constraints, uh, where you, you don't have time to think about these more subtle ways to communicate. You just have time to really get the images you need to get to the editing room so you can get your material out there on screen. Uh, there'll be some of both of that, but our goal is to really keep perfecting the technology and to disseminate it into the market so that quality 3D images are made What scares me the most about the business as it becomes a business is that there's a lot of companies suddenly jumping in. Now, I love competition. I don't have any problem with that. And I have great respect for a few of the competitors that have entered that are producing quality work. There's an awful lot of companies that are seeing the opportunity for a quick buck that are doing less than high-quality work. And that's what scares me, because that's what hurt the business in the 50s and in the 70s, are going to the theater and seeing these images that give you just a nasty splitting headache. And there are companies coming in that mm, they aren't as concerned about that as much as uh, here's a chance to make a quick buck. So, you know, I am concerned about who's coming into the market, and I'm concerned that they maintain a level of quality, because this whole industry right now needs a fairly high level of quality to keep growing. Well, clearly, uh, Steve, 3D is a unique uh, concept, and uh, Reality is uh, doing a great job to spearhead that. It's been an enormous pleasure to have you on the program today. Uh, So to yourself and uh, Randall Libero, I thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much. Apologize for a little long-winded on some of the answers, but thank you very much. And to our audience, uh, we thank you for listening today. We hope you have enjoyed this program. If you would like more information uh, on Threality, you can visit davidgibbons.org and look at that, their information or go to their website. You will find all the information at davidgibbons.org. And a blog is also available should you wish to share comments or feedback uh, with any of our guests. Meanwhile, we look forward to seeing you next time, wherever you are in the world. Good morning. Good afternoon and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.